0: Grab your Bibles, turn with me to John, the 21st chapter, the first verse. I want to welcome all of those who are watching on the internet right now. I hope that you have felt the same presence of God that we feel here today. I want to encourage you to get still. Don't be moving around. Don't be Facebooking me right now. Uh, But get settled in and get ready to receive what God wants to say to you today. Whatever's going on in your life, I believe that God wants to touch you and He wants to speak with you. He's not bound by four walls. He's not bound by space or time. But He can reach to where you are and He can touch your life. John chapter 21, beginning in verse 1. If you're there, say amen. After these things, Jesus showed Himself again to the disciples at the Sea of Tiberias. And in this way, He showed Himself, Simon Peter... "'Thomas called the twin, Nathanael of Cana in Galilee. "'The sons of Zebedee and two others of his disciples were together. "'And Simon Peter said to them, I am going fishing. "'So they said, well, we're going with you also. "'They went out and immediately got into the boat, "'and that night they caught nothing. "'But when the morning had now come, Jesus stood on the shore, "'yet the disciples did not know that it was Jesus. "'Then Jesus said to them, children, have you any food? "'And they answered him, no.' And he said, cast the net on the right side of the boat, and you will find some. So they cast, and now they were not able to draw it in because of the multitude of the fish. Therefore, that disciple whom Jesus loved said to Peter, it is the Lord. Now, when Simon and Peter heard that it was the Lord, he put on his outer garment, for he had removed it, and he plunged into the sea. But the other disciples came in the little boat, for they were not far from land, but about 200 cubits, dragging dragging the net with fish. Would you place your hands on your Bible this morning and let's pray together. As we pray, I got a, received a special prayer request. Uh, Amanda's grandmother is in hospital with a heart condition and needs a miracle in Ohio. Her name is Pam. So as we pray over the sermon today, would you lift up Pam as well? Father, as we come together right now, we're so grateful that we have this opportunity to worship you, to lift up your name, and to glorify you, O God. Father, first and foremost, we lift up Pam to you, and we ask that you would touch her, that you would work a miracle in her life. Lord, we know that you're the great miracle worker. We know that you chose to go to the whipping post and to bear those stripes for our healing, and so we're standing on your word right now oh god heal her send her home healthy and fully recovered in the name of jesus father i pray that you would open our hearts our minds and our spirits to hear from you and to be challenged by the power of your word lord let my words not be mere words of man's wisdom but lace them with the power of the holy spirit and the demonstration of your son jesus do your will in this place today amen I'm continuing in our series entitled Sunday School Stories. We've been in the Old Testament. We're going to jump forward for today and we're going to jump forward to the New Testament. We're going to talk about the story of Peter and the other disciples and Jesus. And I want to talk specifically to all of our gra- graduates today. But even more than that, I want to talk to every person who is in a transition Transitions come in all different shapes and sizes. You could be changing seasons, changing jobs, relationships, values, lifestyles. Uh, It it could come in graduating from high school, graduating from college, or you could be in retirement. Anything, a transition in your life. I want to speak to you today, and I want to bring a word of encouragement to you uh, from from the Bible. The title for today's sermon is just simply, Caught in Transition. Caught in Transition. In this story, it's a very interesting time for the disciples. Jesus had spent three years with them. He had taught with them. He he had been teaching them and working with them. He'd spent untold hours on the side of the hill, teaching them the mysteries of the kingdom, explaining to them how this whole deal would work. He had spent day and night with them. You might say that they had been in the school of Christ for the past three years. Things were going well. Life seemed simple. The job seemed easy. Jesus was there to provide for them. Jesus was there to take care of them. But suddenly, graduation day came. Now, on my graduation day, it was quite interesting. Uh, My entire morning of my graduation day was spent pulling a calf. And I don't know if you know what that means, but I'll tell you later. It's very gross and not fun. Um, And then I went... And I put on my robe and I had my tassel and the whole thing. And my family was there to cheer me on. And everybody was shouting, you know, all the crazy stuff. And I was embarrassed, you know, all that stuff. I, I was, I was embarrassed. But, you know, at the same time, you know, your chest sticks out a little bit, you know, and you're all proud. It was a great day. But for the disciples, their graduation day was nothing like mine and probably nothing like yours. You see, their graduation day, uh, they didn't throw a hat in the air. There weren't tassels involved. They didn't have Operation Graduation, anything like that. For their graduation day, it involved Jesus being hung on a cross. It involved Jesus being beaten mercilessly in the worst torture uh, humanly devised at that time. And yet, this is their graduation day, and suddenly... It's up to them to do the will of the Father. It's up to them to spread the message of Christ. It's up to them to build the church. It's up to them to make this thing happen. And in Acts chapter 2, after the outpouring of the Holy Spirit, we really begin to see this thing happen. But in John 21, they're caught in transition. And as simple as it seemed when Jesus was with them, it doesn't seem that simple anymore. You remember when you were in high school how simple life seemed? It seemed simple for them too. Jesus was always there. When they had a question, they asked him and he answered it. When they had a need, he just did a miracle. You need food? No problem. I'll multiply the fish and the bread and feed thousands of people. You need to pay the temple taxes? No problem. Go fishing. Catch a fish. It's got a gold coin in its mouth. Whatever you need, it was no problem. Jesus was always there. He took care of them, he watched over them, he provided for them, but now it's all on them. Life seemed so simple before, and now it's not. When I was in high school, and maybe it was like this for you, uh, life just seemed simple. I really couldn't figure out why so many people struggled with life, because I just had this perfect plan It was all going to work. I was going to graduate from high school. I was going to college. I was going to uh, go to Texas A and M and then get my pre law degree, then go to law school, become a lawyer, then be a judge, and uh, go on into politics. Life seemed so simple for me. I couldn't figure out why it was so hard for other people. Do you remember that thinking in high school? Why is I, no. okay? I'm going to speak for myself this morning. But for me, it just seemed simple. Life was easy. Uh, everything's going to happen. I'm going to live in the biggest house. I'm going to make the big bucks. I'm going to drive a perfect vehicle. I'm going to vacation in Cancun or Australia or wherever I want to because life is just going to fall into my lap. How many of you know that doesn't really happen very often? We get out there on our own and getting into that perfect school wasn't quite so easy. Passing those classes was much more difficult than it at first seemed. Getting that high paying job didn't quite happen. Marrying the the perfect guy or the perfect girl just they didn't turn out to be so perfect. Mine did. My wife did. (laughs) I'm not kidding. Then things begin to happen when you're out there doing whatever you want, living life as if there was no consequences. But life carries with it its own consequences. Life has its own way of letting you know when you're doing things wrong. Life has its own way of letting you know it's not going just like you thought it was. Reality begins to set in. You lose that job. You flunk out of school. You get strung out on drugs, alcohol, and partying. You get into debt. You get married. You have a baby too soon. Not all the things are bad. Some of the things just happen. I got married very early in my life, and it was a wonderful thing, and I'm very glad that I did. And then I got pregnant way too early in life. And now it's a wonderful thing, and I'm glad I did. But at that moment, I can tell you, I dealt with the consequences that life had to offer. My daughter is the greatest gift from God I've ever received other than salvation. But man, at the time, it stressed me out. I remember holding my daughter for the first time, somewhere, some, there's a picture of it, and I'm just like, I don't know what to do. <laughs> nobody told me. I, I, some of you nurses may know how they rough up a baby, you know, they, they do all that little stuff with them, make them cry and make sure everything's functioning, yeah, nobody told me about that. Lindsay's knocked out, she had an emergency C-section, she's not with us, she was, she was in another world dreaming about lollipops or something. And, and here I am, there's me and a nurse in the back room, I don't know what's going on, and my baby's screaming, and she's roughing her up, I'm like, what are you doing? I'm 21 years old, I have no clue. Looking back on it, it was the greatest blessing that God ever brought me, but at the time, I, it messed up my life, it messed up my plan, I, I had to quit school, I had to change things, I had to move in with my parents again. It was... Not all things are bad but they all carry consequences. Decisions, every decision you make carries with it a consequence. It could be good or it can be bad, but it carries with it a consequence. And I had to come into reality with these things. So we start to learn the hard way. Some of us start learning at 20. Of us decide to start learning at 28. Others are going on 40 and still aren't learning yet. We're praying for you it's not too late. It's the reality of getting caught in transition. It's difficult, but you can make it through, or you can get, and you can get out. I'm talking about the transition after high school, but every transition can get you caught in up, up in it and not let you out. You lose track of your purpose. You lose track of your plan, your dreams, your goals, your mandate, uh, your future, your vision. You lose track of all of it. And Peter had lost track of it. What was he supposed to do? He was supposed to be building the church, and yet he's lost track of it. So what does Peter do? He goes back to fishing. He went back to something and he got distracted by something in his life that promised temporary relief and comfort. But if we're not careful, we'll get distracted by things that offer temporary relief, but it will turn into permanent unfulfillment. Fishing seemed easy, but if we're not careful, you get caught there and you'll be a fisherman Again, not fishing for men, but fishing for fish. Being a fisherman was not a bad thing, but for Peter it was the wrong thing. And that's what we have to understand in life, is there are some things that are not bad, they're just wrong because they're not the will of God for your life. There are some people that you could marry that are not bad, they're just wrong. There are some jobs that you could take that are not bad, they're just wrong. There are some houses you could buy that are not bad. They're just the wrong house. There are some cars you could buy a Chevy. It may not be bad, but it's definitely wrong for you. You need a Ford. (laughs) Ford should hire me and give me vehicles for all the shameless plugging I do for them. They really should. We're all over the world and I'm plugging Ford. Y'all should listen. Ford, Henry Ford, son, grandson, somebody, you need to sign me up. Peter and the disciples face something that most every one of us face at some point in our lives, especially during transition. It's this issue of uncertainty. It's the voice in our head that comes in and says, are you sure that's what you want? Are you sure that you can do it? Are you sure that you're smart enough? Are you sure that you can actually finish it? Uncertainty, and it will tie us down, and it will keep us caught up, distracted, and confused. But God always has a way of helping us out. If we recognize it. I want you to note something. We read in verse 1, Jesus showed himself again to the disciples. That means he had already showed himself once he had been risen from the grave. Verse 14 tells us how many times. This is now the third time Jesus showed himself to the disciples after he was raised from the dead. How many times now in this story, uh, by the time they get to this story, uh, has Jesus raised them from the dead? Three, it's not a true question, right here in verse 14. Third time. They saw him once, they saw him a second time, here is the third time. But the Bible says, in verse 4, the disciples did not know that it was Jesus. This is amazing to me. They've lived with him for three years. I'm just going to put myself in the story for a minute. I'm a disciple, I've lived with Jesus for three years. I walked with him, I talked with him, I served him, I watched him uh, heal the sick. I saw him preach. I saw him doing the most amazing miracles you've ever seen in your life. I saw him get arrested. I saw him get beaten. I saw him get hung on a cross. I saw him them stick a spear in his side and blood and water come out and it proving that he was dead. I saw him take him off the cross. I saw them put him in a tomb. He was dead. He was not on a special medication that made him appear to be dead. He was dead dead. And then one day, I'm walking along, and Jesus appears and walks through the door. He just threw the wall, walks through the wall, and he is in our midst. What a moment that must have been. Personally, I would have freaked out. Now, I'm just going to speak for myself, and you can be honest if you want to. You saw the guy die, and all of a sudden, he walks through the wall right there. Somebody is screaming. I'm just being, uh, somebody is losing their mind. Did you say that? (laughs) I'm telling you. But all of a sudden, over the course of the times you get to see him, uh, not only do you see him once, you see him a second time, you, you have the opportunity to stick your hands in the scars of his hand. You stick your fingers in the holes. You, you see the scar on his side. You see the scars on his feet. You know that this is Jesus. There is no denying it. There is no doubting it. You recognize him. You hear him. You know him. It's Jesus. Now, if it's me, every conversation, every thought in my mind for the for the foreseeable future is going to be on the fact that Jesus Rose from the grave and came back, and I stuck my finger in his holes in his hands. I, I won't think the way my brain works. When something gets on my mind, I, don't, I struggle to think about anything else. I would be thinking about this if you came to say, "Hey, Brandon, how's this doing?" I would still be going, "Did you see Jesus?" Because this is me, and then. I would hear the story about the men walking down to the road to Emmaus and how Jesus appeared, so I'd just start walking down roads talking about Jesus and looking to see if he was going to appear again because I would want it to happen again. I would want to see Jesus again, just me. How is it then that they get out on the boat and Jesus appears to them and they don't recognize him? Because the truth of the matter is when we get caught up in transition, confused, uncertainty, distracted, we often don't even recognize Jesus when he comes to save us. We can get so messed up, so caught up in what we're doing, so caught up in the temporary relief of the moment, the temporary comfort of the moment that we don't even recognize Jesus when he walks in the room. But it gets worse. Then Jesus calls out to them, children! Now Peter's not a Peter's not a children. He's grown up. Peter's a full-grown man now. He's, he's, he's well of age. He's not a children. The only people that called him that were, were, was Jesus. And children, have you caught anything? They don't, still don't recognize him. No, we haven't. Cast your nets on the right side of the boat, and you'll pull in a load of fish. Not only... Did they not recognize Jesus when they saw him? But they were so confused and so messed up and so uh, out of where they were supposed to be that they didn't even recognize his voice when they heard it. I'll give you that maybe it was a foggy day. Maybe they couldn't see uh, all the way to the beach and recognize it was him. But when they heard his voice, you would think that they would know it was him. And yet they didn't know it. This is what happens when we get distracted and we get confused. Jesus shows up to help us and we don't even recognize it's him old story that's been told by preachers for a long 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 time man there's a there's a man living on the, the the shores of a river the river begins to flood he climbs up on his roof he says god please help me about that time a man comes by in a canoe he says hey sir come on down off of there and i'll help you out it was a neighbor we'll, we'll get out of here we'll get out of the safety no no thanks god's going to help me water continues to rise it's up to the it's up to the edge of the roof now The man's on the roof and he says, Lord, you've got to help me. About that time, a Coast Guard guy came by in a boat and said, sir, come on, get out of here. You're going to die on that roof. No thanks. God is going to save me. A few minutes later, the water continues to rise. Now the guy is clasping and holding on, grasping the the top of the uh, uh, chimney. Thank you. And he's holding on. And a helicopter flies over and drops a rope ladder down. And they scream at him, grab a hold, climb up the ladder, we'll bring you to safety. And the guy says, no thanks, God's going to save me. Within a few minutes, he was completely overwhelmed by the water, washed away and drowned when he got to heaven. And he said, God, why didn't you save me? And God said to him, well, I sent you a canoe and a boat and a helicopter. And you didn't take any one of them. When we get caught in transition... God can be sending us our way out that we're praying for, but we're so caught up in temporary relief, so caught up in the confusion, so caught up in not knowing what to do, so caught up in the uncertainty that we don't even recognize it's Him. I want to challenge you to know the voice of God. I want to challenge you to recognize when God is sending you help. Verse 6 He cast the net on one side of the boat. What we see here, I've often been asked and often wondered myself, is there significance to the left side of the boat and the right side of the boat? And my basic answer from everything I have seen and studied and read of of theologians much smarter than I is that we don't know. But here's what we do know. It It is a symbol of divine guidance. God wants to be a part of everything you do even when you're off track he wants to be involved in your life even when you're doing what you're not supposed to be doing he wants to be involved in your life divine guidance will lead you to a great reward trust in him so now Jesus wants to get Peter back on track we pick up in verse 15 so when they had eaten breakfast Jesus said to Simon Peter Simon son of Jonah. Do you love me? More than these. And he said to him. Yes Lord. You know that I love you. And he said. Feed my lambs. He said again a second time. Simon son of Jonah. Do you love me? And he said to him. Yes Lord. You know that I love you? And he said to him. Tend my sheep. And he said to him. A third time. Simon son of Jonah. Do you love me? Peter was grieved because he said to him the third time. Do you love me? And he said to him. Lord. You know all things. You know that I love you. And Jesus said to him. Feed my sheep. Most assuredly, I say to you, Peter, when you were younger, you girded yourself and walked where you wished. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and another will gird you and carry you where you do not wish. This he spoke, signifying by what death he would glorify God. And when he had spoken this, he said to him, follow me. You know, the good thing about Jesus is that he always has a plan to get us back on track. I'm really glad that we don't serve a one chance only God. I'm really glad that no matter where we are, He has a plan to get us back. I had the opportunity to uh, preach a wedding yesterday and for a family of the church here and it was out in Vider and I was going around and trying to get there and I was following my GPS and I took a wrong turn. I didn't listen to the little lady on there. She's smart, Alec, just so you know. You turn now, you idiot. But I'm going along and I take a wrong turn. About that time I realize I've taken a wrong turn and I look down and it simply says recalculating. And within just a few seconds, it gives me another way to go. And so I get back on track and I'm going, well, you know, um, uh, because I'm a man and I know how to get there, I I didn't and I went the wrong way again. No problem for her. Um, She said recalculating and in just a few minutes I had a new route and before I knew it I was right where I was supposed to be well here's the truth when we get off track we get caught up in transition God's not worried he just says recalculating and he gives you a new plan you get off again no worries he knows right where you are he's got GPS on you in your life and he knows where you need to be And he knows all the routes to get you there. And he says, recalculating, here's the new way. Try this one. This will get you there. I love this about God because I've messed up plenty of times in my life. I have taken great opportunities and squandered them. But thanks to the love and the grace of God, he just says, recalculating we will give it another go. Aren't you glad that we serve a God who can recalculate our life? So Jesus is going to get Peter back on track. He says, if you love me, feed my lambs, feed my sheep, tend my sheep. If if you love me, I want you to get back on track. He's talking about love. He's talking about Peter getting back on track with building the church and getting people the message of the kingdom. He's talking about Peter getting on track with his individual goal. And you say, well, Pastor Randall, uh, that may not be my goal. That's fine. But every one of us have individual purpose that God has placed upon your life. And He wants to get you on track with that. You got off. Maybe it was a year. Maybe it was ten years. Maybe it was a hundred years. I don't know. But it's not too late for God to get you back on track. But more than that, it's not just an individual purpose that Jesus is talking about right here. He's encouraging each and every one of us because loving is part of every one of our purpose in the, as, as a part of the kingdom of God. Matthew chapter 5, verse 43 says, You have heard it was said that you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies, bless those who curse you, do good to those who hate you, and pray for those who spitefully use you and persecute you. Watch this. That you may be sons of your Father in heaven. Here's the principle. If you want to be a child of God, a son of God, a daughter of God, love everyone. Love Love your neighbors, love your friends, love your family, love your kids, love your mama, love your daddy, love those who hate you, love those who persecute you, love those who curse you, love everybody. But Pastor Randon, life has a way of of pulling us down and breaking down our love, breaking down our trust for people. They hurt us, they bruise us, they mess us up, they mess us over, and and we don't want to love anymore. Jesus said, no conditions, Unconditionally. Love everybody. The, the word here is to love without conditions. Love. Love, just love. I want to encourage you, if life has gotten you off track, if life has gotten you bitter, if life has put you in a place where you don't trust people and you don't trust God and you don't want to love uh, people anymore, go back to the word of God. Get back on track like Peter did in love Lead your life with love. Well, then I find something else incredible here. Jesus asked Peter this question three times. Do you love me? Do you love me? Do you love me? In verse 18, it grieved Peter that Jesus asked him three times. Why did it grieve him? The reason it grieved Peter is because it reminded him of the three times that he had denied Jesus just a few weeks before Peter had said, even if I should die with you, I'll never deny you. And yet that night, he denied Jesus three times. And so three times now, Jesus asked him, do you love me, Peter? Feed my sheep. Do you love me? Tend my sheep. Tend to my lambs. Do you love me? Feed my sheep. Do you love me? And every time he asked him, it was reminding Peter of his failure. Now, I ask this question, why would Jesus want to remind Peter of his failure? That's That doesn't seem to make sense. But what he was saying to Peter was, in the face of failure, set your eyes on things which are ahead. When you mess up, don't worry about it. Move on. Get your heart right and come back to me. He said, where is your heart, Peter? Do you love me? Yes, Jesus, you know all things. You know my heart is right. You know that I love you. Okay, then get back on track. You got off a little bit. You got messed up a little bit. It's okay. Get back on track. I find it fascinating that Jesus never asked him to apologize. Jesus never held it against him. He never asked for an I'm sorry. Not one time. I, have a, I talked to you about Kennedy. She's eight now. And um, she is no longer uh, in training to be a drama queen. She has her doctorate now. Uh, in dramatology, I guess she can dry, cry on the drop of a hat. The other day, she came home. She had her spelling test. She missed like one word. She had like a ninety-eight or something like this. And I just simply asked her, "Why did you miss that word?" Because she knew it. We had studied it. She knew that word, and immediately tears. <laughs> <laughs> i like, what? what are you crying about right now? I don't even know what just happened. I'm just driving along. Hey, well, why'd you miss that one? Ah, tears. I mean, it was like the cartoon where they're not just coming, they're like shooting out of their eyes when she gets in trouble. Uh, it's usually for the same thing. She's a really good girl, but she, she whines a lot. It's just, it's, it's just a drama thing. me I want to go. It's just all, always, it's not fair. It's just tears and whining and it drives me crazy. And I finally, and she said, I'm sorry, daddy. I'm sorry, daddy. I'll never do it again. I'm like, you're doing it right now. <laughs> you're in trouble for whining and you're saying you'll never do it again in a whining voice. Please stop. And I say to her, I don't want to hear no more apologies. I don't want you to say, I'm sorry. Just stop. But I wonder if God is ever looking at us in our life and saying, stop apologizing. Get your heart right and just make the change. I don't need to hear I'm sorry anymore. Just get back on track. Just do it right this time. Just make it happen. I know that you will love me. Do it right so, Jesus gives Peter his final charge. It's a, an astounding one. But because he says to Peter, when you were young, you went around and did what you wanted to. Or when you were young, uh, people led you around, but then you were old and you walked around and did what you wished. But, now, but when you get really old, and later in your life, he says people are going to lead you where they want you to go. They're, you're not going to want to go there. What he's talking about here is he's pointing... To the death of Peter. He's saying Peter. You're going to be taken against your will. He's prophesying over Peter right now. That he would be martyred for the cause of Christ. Peter was put in chains on multiple occasions in his life. And, and uh, thrown in prison. And eventually was hung upside down on a cross. Because he refused to hang like his Savior did. So he said turn my cross upside down. And they martyred him. They hung him upside down. But here's what Jesus was saying to him. Peter, whatever comes your way, whatever happens in your life, if it's hard or if it's easy, whatever comes your way, follow me. Just remember this, Peter. Keep your eyes on me and follow me. Verse 20. Peter gets it wrong. Watch what he does. Then Peter, turning around, saw the disciple whom Jesus loved following Who also had leaned on his breast at supper and said, Lord, who is the one who betrays you? Peter, seeing him, said to Jesus, but Lord, what about this man? And Jesus said, if I will that he remain till I come, what is that to you? You follow me. Jesus had just said, whatever you do in your life, wherever life takes you through the good times and the bad, follow me. Keep your eyes on me. Keep looking at me. And the very first thing that that Peter does is takes his eye off of Jesus and he starts looking around. And he sees John. And he says, Jesus, if I've got to die, what about him? If this is what my life has to be, what about him? And he starts comparing his future to the future of John. If I've got to be martyred, if I've got to be led away in chains, if I've got to hang on a cross, what about him? Jesus' response has two parts. First of all, he says, if if I want to do that if I will that he remain till I come if I let him live forever if I let him if I don't want him to be martyred what is that to you don't be comparing yourself to other people don't get caught up in fairness and equality Second Corinthians chapter 10 verse 12 says for we dare not class ourselves or compare ourselves with those who commend themselves but they measuring themselves by themselves and comparing themselves among themselves are not wise. Comparing ourselves to others is not wise. Jesus never promised that life would be fair. But in fact, he said, uh, the Bible says, to whom much is given, much is required. Jesus told the parable, one got two talents or one talent, one got five, one got ten. People are given Different amounts. They're given different things. Everybody's life is not fair. But if we get so caught up with, what about him? And he didn't have to go through this. And why do I have to go through this if they don't? Why did this happen to me? And why did that not happen to him? And all these things. Why does he get to do this and I don't? Just understand that Jesus never promised that, but rather he created us all to function together as the body of Christ. One great man in my life said it like this. Don't get caught up in the disease of comparisonism. The disease, it takes over you. You get to looking at the wrong thing, the wrong place. If you get to comparing yourself with others, you may not like what you find. Because you may not have the grace that they have to live their life. You may not have the grace to do what they have to do. You may not, but you do have a grace to live your life, to be what God has called you to be. Stay focused. The second part of Jesus' response was the same thing he just said. Don't be looking around. You follow me. Peter, you follow me. Peter, you take your eyes off everyone around you and you look to me. You follow me. You keep your eyes on me. You follow me. Only you can carry your cross. Jesus said, take up your cross and follow me. He didn't say, take up your neighbor's cross. Peter, he didn't say, take up John's cross. He said, take up your cross and follow me. So keep your eyes on Jesus. Pick up your cross because he'll give you grace to carry that cross. He won't give you grace to carry someone else's. He'll give you grace to carry your own. Pick up your cross and follow him. Don't get caught up in comparisons, but follow Jesus. It's not about what the rest of the world does. It's not what about, about what they have to go through or don't have to go through. It's not about what kind of car they drive or house they live in or job they have. It's about what God has called you to do. Be you and follow Christ. I want to speak to every person in this room as we close today that is going through a transition. And you feel like you're caught. You feel like you're stuck and you can't see your way out. Maybe you've been here for a few months. Maybe you've been in this season for years. Maybe you've been caught up for decades. Maybe it's with a job or maybe it's with school. Maybe it's transitioning between those. Maybe it's retirement. Maybe it's uh, relational. Maybe you're uh, in a new marriage or getting rid of an old marriage or whatever it might be. You're in transition. Things are shifting and changing in your life. I want to encourage you today. Keep your eyes on Jesus and follow Him. Don't get distracted. Don't get caught up in things that offer temporary relief. But will bring you permanent unfulfillment. Focus on Jesus. Follow Him. He'll lead you. He'll guide you. Recognize His voice when He's speaking to you. Recognize His presence when He shows up in your life. Recognize the opportunities that He's sending your way to bring you out of the season that you're in. Don't get caught in transition.